Feast of Hanukkah, an end time prophecy. And, and, and it got so, just so long. Get the, the title itself was so long, I, I felt like we better do part two next week. So we're going to do that. Uh, but let me read to you verses 22 and 23. We're going to come back to this. This is uh, two verses I know that we studied uh, in our study of the Gospel of John, which we just completed on Sunday morning. But uh, back in John chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, it just simply says, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That doesn't give a lot of indication unless you know what dedication is, because in the Hebrew, the, de the word dedication is the word Hanukkah, or Hanukkah. And uh, so this is indeed Jesus in Jerusalem for the feast of Hanukkah. And it was winter to allow us the opportunity to know very clearly that it was Hanukkah, because Hanukkah uh, was celebrated uh, on the, uh, in the month of Kislev, which is corresponds with our December. And he walked in the temple, meaning that he was at the temple for this, for this festival. All that in mind, and we're obviously going to talk a little bit about Hanukkah. Now, the Jewish festival of Hanukkah ended about a week or so ago, uh, but, but I want, and, and I've talked about Hanukkah before, but I wanted to deal with a, a topic that, uh, that is not normally focused upon by most Jewish people or even Christians who are very interested in, in a feast that is closely related and only really closely related in season uh, to Christmas. And being that we're so close to that, this was a pretty good time after our study in the book of Hosea to take a little bit of time off uh, from uh, our, our normal Old Testament studies and uh, still be in the Old Testament while we're looking at this. But the topic that I'm referring to is the revelation of end time prophecy in the Hanukkah account found in the apocryphal books of the Maccabees. Now, unless you have a Catholic Bible, you don't have the book of Maccabees because you don't have the Apocrypha in your Bible. As I, as I said, though, unless you have a, uh, a Catholic Bible or uh, there are some more modern Bibles that actually uh, contain the Apocrypha. And I'll talk about the Apocrypha in a moment or the Apocryphal books. And we'll get to that in a moment. But before we begin, and since we, having discovered my own Jewish heritage, I, I, I'd like to share with you some answers to frequently asked questions concerning the difference between Christmas and Hanukkah, but all of it from a Jewish perspective. I hope you don't mind if I do this. So from a Jewish perspective, here's the difference between Christmas and Hanukkah. Christmas is one day every year. December the 25th. Jews also love December 25th. It's another paid day off work. You can laugh. I don't mind. I want you to. I don't want to feel foolish up here. We go to the movies and out for Chinese food and Israeli dancing. Hanukkah is eight days. It starts the evening of the 24th of Kislev, whenever that falls. Uh, no one is ever sure. Jews never know until a non-Jewish friend asks when Hanukkah starts, forcing us to consult a calendar so we don't look like idiots. We all have the same calendar, provided free with a donation to the Jewish Congress, the Kosher Butcher, or the local Sinai Memorial Chapel, especially in Florida, or other Jewish funeral homes. 
That's where we get our Jewish calendars. Secondly, Christmas is a major holiday. Hanukkah is a minor holiday with the same theme as most Jewish holidays. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Christmas is a time of great gift-giving pressure. People expect special gifts. Jews are relieved of that burden. No one expects a diamond ring, a ring on Hanukkah. Christmas brings enormous electric bills. Candles are used for Hanukkah. Not only are we spared enormous electric bills, but we get to feel good about not contributing to the energy crisis. And then Christmas carols. Christmas carols are beautiful. Silent night, oh, come all ye faithful. Hanukkah songs are about dreidels made from clay or having a party and dancing the hurrah. Of course, we are secretly pleased that many of the beautiful carols were composed and written by our tribal brethren. And don't Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond sing them so beautifully? They're Jews, by the way. People have fun baking Christmas cookies. Our people burn their eyes and cut their hands grating potatoes and onions for latkes on, ha on Hanukkah, another reminder of our suffering through the ages. The uh, players in the Christmas story have easy names to pronounce, such as Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. The players in the Hanukkah story are Antiochus, Judah Maccabee, and Matatayahu, uh, or, or something like that. No one can spell it, and no one can pronounce it. On the plus side, we can tell our friends anything, and they believe we are wonderfully versed in our history. Now, in recent years, Christmas has become more and more commercialized. The same holds true for Hanukkah, even though it is a minor holiday. But it makes sense. How could we market a major holiday such as Yom Kippur? Forget about celebrating, think observing, come to synagogue, starve yourself for 27 hours, become one with your dehydrated soul, beat your chest, confess your sins, a guaranteed good time for you and your family. Tickets, a mere $200 a person. Better stick to Hanukkah. Okay, enough of that. I will accept all of your little chuckles that you had there, even though you probably didn't know what I was talking about. I still love you anyway. Hanukkah known as the Feast of Dedication celebrates the Maccabees' victory over the Syrian Greeks and the rededication of the temple in 165 BC after the Seleucid king Antiochus IV, while occupier of Israel, defiled it by sacrificing a pig on the altar and pouring blood on the scripture scrolls. This Antiochus didn't care much for Israel's worship of Yahweh or of Hashem. Hashem is Jewish for, or, uh, or Hebrew, I should say, for the name, Hashem. The name is too holy for them to pronounce. Whether we call him Yahweh, others Jehovah, whatever, to them it's much better just to say the name. So. He turned the temple into a shrine for Zeus. And to throw gasoline on the fire, he insisted that he should be called Antiochus Epiphanes, 
which means the manifestation of God. In other words, he should be considered as God. Now, it has been said that when he put a statue of Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem, he did so uh, under the orders that uh, whoever was carving out the, the stone for this would uh, carve the face of Zeus to look like him. Just so you'll know how uh, arrogant this King Antiochus was. Well, all of that took place around 167 BC. But while that was happening, a Jewish resistance leader arose whose name was Yehuda Ha-Maccabee, Judah Maccabee, which means Judah the hammer. He was the son of the priest Matatiahu, or Matathias, who had led the revolt until his death and Judah took over leadership. Now, the Maccabees' victory, a miracle of God's deliverance, is recorded, as I said earlier, in the book called uh, the Book of Maccabees, which is found in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is, a, is a, uh, a series of books that are not in the canon of Scripture, uh, in the Jewish canon of Scripture, or the Holy Scriptures, uh, 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 the Hebrew uh, Scriptures, as I should say. Uh, they're not in that. Uh, in the, in the main canon, but they are books that they, they do uh, have uh, readily available. Uh, some consider that some of the, some of the books are somewhat legend or, uh, or else, but um, in, in some cases they're just extra to the scriptures, but the Jewish uh, rabbis who put together the, uh, as they were putting together the canon of scripture for the Old Testament, that we call the Old Testament, uh, they um, they decided not to put it into the into the uh, uh, the canon of, of scripture. So when the New Testament was being formed and developed and and all, and then the Old Testament was brought together with the New Testament to make what is for us the Bible, uh, all the New Testament. Uh, they also left out those books except that they translated them and kept them. For example, the book of Maccabees, the two books of Maccabees are, are very historical because of this particular uh, uh, festival, which they still celebrate to this day. So some is history, but, and, and, but, it, but it, they, they had certain guidelines by which they would put books into the canon of scripture and, and uh, for some reason, the, the Maccabees didn't fit into that category, but nonetheless, they still read it and celebrate, you know, the, the festival. But Hanukkah is also known as the Feast of Lights because of a, mirac a miraculous provision of oil for the eternal light in the temple. Now, one thing that they had done, that uh, the Greeks had done when they came into Jerusalem was uh, they ransacked the temple. They actually took out the, the table of showbread and all of the furniture of the temple, including the menorah, the, the seven-stick candlestick holder, uh, which was a very large one, you know, much larger than the ones that we have back over here on the table. But uh, nonetheless, this was, was important for them to have as the light, you know, light 
was always an important uh, element of the, uh, of, of the Jewish worship. But after cleansing the temple, the supply of oil to relight the eternal flame, which is the symbol of God's presence, was only enough for one day. And they had seven candles to light. But the Lord performed this great miracle, and, and, and the flame burned for the eight days necessary to, prof- to purify new oil. So this was the miracle of Hanukkah and the reason for the celebration. Now, let me just say that without Hanukkah, without Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. Now think about that for just a moment. Without Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. Why can I say that? Simply because without Hanukkah, the faith of Israel would have been completely wiped out. The faith of Israel would have been completely wiped out. And so in a certain sense, Hanukkah was significant in bringing about Christmas. See, a lot of times we don't don't realize this, but without Hanukkah, there there, there would have been later on no Joseph, no Mary. This is uh, something to think about. Something to keep in mind. Never forget that down through the ages, the enemy of our souls, the devil, Satan, down through the ages, the enemy of our souls has tried everything to destroy the Jewish people because he knows that the Messiah of Israel, the God of creation, was sent to this earth would be his ultimate downfall and his destruction. Satan knows that if the Messiah of Israel would come and they would receive him as Messiah, that would be it for him. Sin and death and the devil would face their decisive, definitive demise. What we need to understand as believers in in Yeshua and Jesus, the Messiah, is that for the better part of 4,000 years, the Jewish people have faced persistent, an unyielding persecution, an opposition, and attempts to annihilate and destroy them. And that will only continue until the second coming of Jesus to this earth. That is only going to continue. And though very few nations have faced extinction as a people, there have been no satanic campaigns that have carried such animosity as those against Israel. And so the destruction of Israel for Satan is in fact a matter of self-preservation. If Israel survives, the result will be Satan's eternal perdition, Satan's eternal lostness. And the word perdition, interestingly enough, you know, it was applied to Judas Iscariot. Jesus called him the son of perdition. The Antichrist will be called the son of perdition. But the word perdition is closely linked to the word perish. Now compare that. Think about that for just a moment. Again, a son of perdition is a son of lostness, a son that will perish. Thank the Lord for John 3.16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have to see the importance of these connections and the importance of these uh, connectors as we see in Scripture, both in, in comparison and in contrast. All of them help us to understand truly God's word as it applies to especially the end times. So consider, if you will, some of the more blatant attempts by the enemy to destroy Israel that we find in Scripture. And there are a lot more that I'm going to mention here in just a moment. There are a lot more. But you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and, and just think, just, just again, I'm, I'm just trying to, I should have told you at the beginning, put your thinking caps on, because I'm going to keep telling you, keep thinking about these things. But you go back to the book of Genesis and you read about Abraham going to Egypt and then, you know, to, you know, to save his own skin, he lies about Sarah. His wife and calls her his sister but he's trying to save his own neck. And it nearly caused Pharaoh to violate her. That's in Genesis chapter 12, by the way. That could be considered an attempt to wipe out Abraham. And then the line that would reach eventually to David. And then from David to Jesus. Or what about Abraham bypassing Sarah for Hagar? Genesis 16, thinking that that would have been the way to, to go to help God out, you know, and getting, getting a son. But no, the Lord said it has to be through Sarah. Even though she was barren, God was going to work that out, and, she, and, he, and he certainly did. Then you get a little bit more into detail about uh, the enemy causing problems when Pharaoh ordered all male infants to be murdered in Exodus chapter 2. That definitely has the fingerprints of Satan on it. Or Pharaoh wanting to destroy Israel by backing them up against the Red Sea after he let them go and comes charging after them, wanting to destroy them. If he destroys them in the wilderness, they're gone. Israel worshiping the golden calf to some extent, taking their eyes off of the Lord. Let's, let's not forget now, you know, you go through the rest of, this, uh, of the Old Testament and get, and get down to uh, the book of Esther. Let's not forget Haman attempting to destroy all the Jews through the Persian Empire. Haman was a forerunner of Hitler, by the way. Very much like Hitler, wasn't he? Modern history also records the attempts by Hitler's Third Reich. And then in 1947 and 1948, the independence of, of Israel declared us a, a nation again. Uh, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria immediately did everything they could to destroy Israel and cast them into the sea. And they, had, they tried it again in 1967 and 1973. The fact of the matter is it continues even to this day. Hamas throws rockets from Gaza into Israel 
all the time. Destroy as many Jews as they can. <clears throat> Excuse me. What we will deal with today is that Satan has not let up. And he will not let up his campaign to destroy Israel. And for this reason, he does not want Israel to invite Jesus to return to the earth. We have to ask, why hasn't the enemy been able to accomplish his repeated purpose of killing of this tiny nation of only a few million people? Why hasn't he been able to succeed? He killed six million in, in, the, in the 30s and 40s. Well, it has to do with the Lord promising to preserve his covenant nation forever. It was God's covenant with Israel. It was that unilateral covenant, I oftentimes talk about that unilateral covenant he made with, with Abraham. A covenant that God, that God himself said, I'm going to keep both parts of it. I'm going to keep your part and I'm going to keep my part. That way I know and that way you'll know that you're going to be, you're going to see my hand through this whole nation bring about the salvation of Israel and the salvation of those who believe. So, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31 for just a moment. Because there's a really beautiful statement that is made here in Jeremiah 31, in verse 35 and uh, through 37. It says, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, the sun, the moon, the stars, if, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Did you catch that? Look at verse 37. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Now here's the problem, the dilemma. <laughs> really not a dilemma for us or, or Israel. But the problem is, he says, if heaven can, above can be measured, they haven't been able to measure the stars, no matter how big our telescopes are, no matter how many rockets and satellites we send up into orbit. It's, it's, a, it's a drop in the bucket for the Lord. That whole universe is in the palm of his hand. How can you measure that? And he says, if you can measure it, and if you can discover and search out the foundations of the earth. Who's ever really done that? I tried to do it one time when I was about eight, eight years old, you know. I was said, I'm gonna dig a hole to China, man. I, I'm gonna, and somewhere down the line, I'm gonna go through this earth and see what's down there, you know. And I started digging. But in El Paso, there's a problem. First thing you get to after about a foot and a half is caliche, and then and that's, that's where my, my shovel bent, and that's, uh, I went on to, become a musician instead. 
<laughs> I'm not sure that worked out too well either. <laughs> but he said, the foundation of the earth search, if that's the case, if you can do that, I, I, will, I will cast off all the seed of Israel. So what the Lord is saying is, it ain't going to happen. Israel's not going to get destroyed. You got to get rid of the sun, the moon, and stars. You got to measure the heavens exactly. You got to search out the foundations and know what's down below this earth. You know, there's some new age people doing that right now with this big laboratory called CERN over in Switzerland. They're doing some weird stuff there. We'll have to talk about it one of these days. As a matter of fact, New Year's uh, Day, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. Just a little bit, not too much. Okay, well, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. So what the Lord is saying is that if you want to destroy Israel, you're going to have to first destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars. And once that's accomplished, then and only then could someone go about destroying Israel. Well, the last time I checked, they're still here. And so are the sun and moon and stars. They're still here. Okay, so getting back to Hanukkah, it, it is in the prophecy of Daniel now. It is in the prophecy of Daniel that we find it speaking of the coming of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And it's really Antiochus IV Epiphanes because he added the Epiphanes part. He says, I am the manifest God, you know. But, but that, that's, you know, that was him. Who actually, would des he, he would desecrate the temple and he would cause the sacrifices to cease. Representing the forerunner of those who would cause the abomination of desolation in a near fulfillment, in a later fulfillment by the Antichrist himself. So that's who Antiochus Epiphanes is, or Antiochus Epiphanes. He is the forerunner to the Antichrist. And it is, in the, it is in, not only in the book of Daniel, but also in the book of Maccabees, in the books of Maccabees. And we're gonna, I want to read a portion of that at the very end, but I want to read a portion of it because I want you to see where we are today in this world and what it is saying in Maccabees that brings us right to that very same spot. So first of all, understand that Jesus when speaking to his disciples about the last days and the last day issues, in Matthew 24, verse 15, he said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, which, which literally means the abomination, you know, the dreadful, awful thing, sin, that causes the temple to become desolate. When it, when it causes the temple to become unclean, that you cannot go into it because it is so unclean. And again, from what I told you about the history of, 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 of Hanukkah, that Antiochus went in and he killed a pig on the altar. Desecrated. That in itself was enough to desecrate the temple and make it desolate. Because you cannot go in there to worship anymore. It cannot be worshipped in because of what was brought in. The uncleanness of an animal that was considered unclean. So Jesus said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. 
So Jesus is definitely uh, strengthening the prophecy of Daniel for us to understand. He says, when you see it, stand in the holy place, the abomination, what is done to make it desolate, uh, the statue of Zeus. Later on, we'll talk about uh, Antichrist himself. But that's who Jesus is talking about because Jesus is talking about this after, of course, Antiochus Epiphanes. So he says, when you see it, let him understand. So the Lord is certainly pointing to the Antichrist from the context that follows this verse, but Daniel establishes a time frame of sorts to connect the events of Hanukkah to the end time. Now, there are many times that we see the prophets use certain phrases or certain time frames to, to, to show us how things are connected. So Daniel establishes that kind of connection for us uh, that brings Hanukkah to, uh, you know, to an understanding of, of end time events. And it begins really at the end of the book of Daniel, even though it, 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 it's used before. But we're going to start at Daniel chapter 12. So go to Daniel chapter 12 and look at verses 5 through 7. It says, then I, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on, the, on that side of the bank of the river, speaking of angels. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the, river, the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be, and here it is, that it shall be a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So that phrase, a time, times, and a half. Simply, this phrase is consistently seen in Scripture as a period of three and a half years. So there's a connection with Hanukkah of three and a half years that, that we need to keep in mind. A time would be considered a year, times would be considered two years, and a half would be considered a half of a year. Therefore, one plus two plus a half is three and a half years. And so we, we come to a, a, a substantiation of this simple math here by continuing to find these uh, passages that connect again to the end time. Daniel 9, go back a few chapters to Daniel 9 verse 27. Uh, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. One week is a week of years, seven sevens. So a week of years. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's speaking of seven years. In the midst of the week, now, where would that be? In the middle of the seventh year, where would it be? If it's right in the middle, it's three and a half. In the middle or the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So once again, the statement that's being made here is very similar to what Antiochus did in the temple when he came in, even though there was not that three and a half year time frame for him, 
there, and it might have been, but we don't see that written in the Maccabees. But what we see here in Daniel is that he's speaking directly about the coming of Antichrist, who's going to make a deal with the people of Israel for peace. Now, when we talk about this a lot, when we deal with the issues of, of uh, prophecy, we're dealing with uh, uh, Revelation, where it talks about uh, the, uh, the beginning of the tribulation period, the beginning of those seven years. It's called the tribulation period. The great tribulation period begins at the very middle. The last three and a half years are much more, I mean, magnified as far as the tribulation. There is going to be tribulation through all seven years. But he begins, whoever the Antichrist is going to be, begins by making a peace treaty with Israel. That's what Daniel is all about here. And then we see it also in the book of Second. Uh, uh, actually, in First Thessalonians, where it talks about uh, uh, saying peace and safety, but sudden destruction cometh, uh, and so on and so forth. So we, we see that he causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease, which is exactly what Antiochus also did. He went and caused the religion of Israel to cease. The faith of Israel was now to stop. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Okay, so... He shall make it desolate even until the consummation when everything, when all the, uh, uh, all the accounts that God is going to make with, uh, with everyone on the earth and then that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay, so continuing then to connect the dots. We're connecting the dots with this understanding of the three and a half years. So Revelation chapter 11 now. Everybody knows what Revelation is, last book of the Bible, so let's go there. Revelation chapter 11 verse, verses 1 and 2. And notice again where the connector is here. And again, we're connecting back to Hanukkah, okay, so that you'll know. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out. The court that is outside of the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and 2 months. What's 40 and 2 months? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So we're talking about the same time frame. We're talking about the coming of Antichrist. And then Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. Go to the next page. The next page in chapter 12 is talking about Israel. The woman that it describes in the first six verses of this, or the first five verses, is Israel. And then here in verse six it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she, ha where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. A thousand two hundred and sixty days, right? Twelve hundred and sixty days. What's that in years? Three and a half. Three and a half years. So what ties all of this then? To Hanukkah. Now see, now, we, now we've gone beyond the celebration of Hanukkah, you know. But, but Hanukkah is still important here. The dedication. Hanukkah is still important. And what is tying all of this to Hanukkah? Well, Daniel 11 prophesies the coming and evil activities of Antiochus 
Epiphanes. Daniel prophesies under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is prophesying the activities and the coming of Antiochus Epiphanes. So consider this passage, if you will. Daniel 11, verses 30 and 31. Some of this you'll find in the book of Maccabees. For the ships of Chitim, or Kitim. Kitim is usually considered to be the area of Cyprus, which is close to Greece. And Kitim also uh, uh, deals with all of the coastlines, both on the, uh, on the continent as well as this, the island of, of Cyprus itself. But understand that historically, when Kitim is mentioned here, as well as in, in, the, uh, in the book of Maccabees, it is talking about the Romans. And the reason is, now remember this, remember the, the Babylonians came first. The Babylonians came, and then the Medes and the Persians. This is back in the early part of Daniel chapter 2, the, 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 the statue that, uh, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar made. And uh, there, there was, uh, you know, the head of gold and then the chest of, of silver and so on and so forth. So you had gold, you know, you had Babylon, and then you had uh, uh, Medo-Persians, and then you had the Greeks, and then the legs and the feet, the Romans. So the Romans were fledgling coming up, but they were powerful already. And by the way, Alexander the Great, not the grape, but the great, Alexander is mentioned in the very first few verses, of the first nine verses of the book of Maccabees, the first book of Maccabees. The history starts with him. And out of him comes the other leaders, the, the, four, the Seleucid leaders that would follow after, after Alexander. And one of them is the father of Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the Great. But he dies, and Antiochus IV now takes over. So that's who this is talking about. For the ships of Kittim shall come against him, and therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. Stop there for just a minute. Who's he grieved about? Uh, he's grieved because he was about to take over all of Egypt. But he was stopped. And again, that was because of this influence between the Romans and the Egyptians. Uh, no doubt we're, we're dealing with the time frame that had to do with Anthony and Cleopatra and all that kind of stuff. You know. So you see where history is in all of this. Kind of, kind of have a big picture. So, uh, but, so what he does is he returns and he has this indignation against the Holy Covenant. Well, what's the Holy Covenant? Israel. Because they've already come into that land. And notice what he did. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. What that means is he will have favor. He will show favor or show regard to those that forsook the Holy Covenant who were Jewish. 
Now, this is an important part of, of, of our, our study, so keep that in mind, that there were those who were falling away from the faith during that time. They were apostate Jews. An arm shall stand on his part, which means there would be an army behind him, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, that being the temple, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, stop them from worshiping the, the one true God, and they shall place the abomination that make it desolate. That prophecy is about Antiochus. So Hanukkah, therefore, is the beginning of the revelation of the end times. Because Antiochus points us to the Antichrist. Even his first name almost links to us to Antichrist. You know, Antiochus, against. Actually, against being ruled by God. Which makes him God. At least in his own mind. So Hanukkah, therefore, is the beginning of the revelation of the end times. The Antichrist is revealed in Hanukkah. The end times is revealed in Hanukkah. The persecutions are revealed in Hanukkah. And even what is happening in our own nation to a certain extent, even here and now, which is what we're getting to next week. But even what, what, what's happening in this nation today is revealed in Hanukkah. And folks, we're just beginning. We're just starting. So if anyone asks you where Hanukkah is found, and celebrated in the Bible, you can tell them very clearly and correctly that it is only found in the canon of Scripture in the New Testament. Not in the Old Testament, in the New. Remember what I said. They want to know where Hanukkah is found and celebrated in the Bible. It's celebrated in John chapter 10. And by whom? It's celebrated by Jesus. And why not? It's a festival of light. And he's the light of the world. John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem the feast of Hanukkah. Dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple. In Solomon's porch. So the story of Hanukkah begins... And by the way, we're going to come back to John because there's some connection to, to, that, to the things that he says after those two verses there. But that, that's next week. We'll come back to that next time. The story of Hanukkah begins in that intertestamental period where when Israel had been restored to the land. Uh, the intertestamental period is a 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet that we read about, and, and then, of course, the, the coming of Jesus uh, uh, in the time of the, of the Roman occupation, the Roman uh, Empire in, in the land. But the story of Hanukkah begins in that intertestamental period when Israel had been restored to the land. Now listen, they had been restored to the land. They had been where? They had been in Babylon, they had been in Assyria. They, now they're restored, they come back into the land. They had their temple now. The Jews call it the second temple. But they had their temple. But a new civilization had risen up. That civilization of the Greeks, having defeated the Medo-Persians. And the Greeks' goal, by the way, the Greeks' goal was that they wanted to make everyone the same. Now, start listening carefully. They wanted to make everybody the same. 
They wanted to establish a one-world government and a one-world system. Think about that. That's happening today. So, sound familiar? They wanted every nation and every culture to come under their system and worship their gods. Zeus being the primary god. But Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest, an imposter who claimed to be God, declared that all people give up their traditions. This is what he declares. You'll, you can read it in, 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 in Maccabees. He declared that all people give up their traditions, give up all their religions, and give up all their gods. But there was one nation. There was just one nation that just didn't fit into this system. It just, and it's never fit. It's never fit in any system. E even when they apostatize and they go off, they, they can't even fit. They couldn't fit in Babylon. They couldn't fit in Assyria. Oh, if you tried. And then when they were scattered after, after the Romans uh, uh, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and all, and they scattered to all the ends of the earth, they couldn't fit in any system. They had to stay together. By the way, that was built into them by God. Because they knew deep inside of their hearts that they were told to be separate from the world. Weren't they? From the very beginning? So they would go into, I mean, you would find them in the funniest places. But they were there. And they were separate. So what was Antiochus' solution? What was his solution? And I use the word purposely. What was his solution? He was fed up with them. He said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe the people out. I'm going to wipe their faith out. I'm just going to wipe them out. They don't want to submit, but just kill them. Let's get rid of them all. That was his solution. When you read the book of, of Maccabees, you know, they, they told the people that they were to stop circumcising their, their male children. And there's, there is uh, descriptions of, of, uh, of, of uh, mothers that, uh, you know, secretly Circumcise their children. They kill the, the par they kill the mothers, and then they kill the children. Sound familiar? There was one condition that needed to be set for all of this to take place. For what was happening then, and certainly has been happening down through history, down through ages. But there is one condition that needed to be set for all of this to take place, and that was that the people of Israel started to fall away from their faith into apostasy. That's all it would take for this to take place. They began to fall away from their faith 
into apostasy. And they started to follow the ways of the Greeks. And you read it right at the onset of the first chapter of the first book of Maccabees. The priesthood became corrupt. Being the very ones, it, it was the priesthood actually that let Antiochus come in to do what he did. The corrupt priesthood let them in. Now think about what people are letting into churches today. Think about it. Christian yoga, that's an oxymoron. What they do is neither Christian nor does it probably true yoga because yoga is a part of the Hindu faith. It is part of the Hindu religion. That's brought into churches. Labyrinths. Prayer circles, like, I mean, real circles, not, not like, you know, I mean, there, there's, there, you know, they, they do this thing for energy's sake, you know. Con contemplative prayer, if you've ever heard of these things. Well, you're going to hear of them, and you're going to hear a lot about them in, in coming days. Because I'm going to go back to what I did a few years ago when we had that conference on, on um, White is the gate, and we're, we're going to do that again. We need to. We need to restore some of these things in our minds and our hearts about what's happening in the church today that's bringing, I mean, they're getting away from the word of God. In some places, they don't even want you to bring a Bible. They still call it a church. So they, let, they were the ones that let the Greeks and Antiochus come into the temple to desecrate it. I want to read, let me read a little portion. I've got a little time here. I was hoping I'd have time. By the way, the Apocrypha was translated by the King James translators. And this is a King James version of the Apocrypha, so I trust it. And um, let me just read a few things. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I could, but I better not. All right. Should I? No. So, as I said, the first nine verses talk about Alexander and then his successor. So we get down to this verse, verse 10 of chapter 1 of the first book of Maccabees. It says, And there came out of them a wicked root, Antiochus, surnamed Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage at Rome. So already the Romans were building up strength. They, they had taken uh, one king hostage, and he re and he reigned in the hundred and thirty and seventh year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men. And by the way, that's men of Israel that went out of Israel. So you see the corruption already. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the heathen that are round about us. For since we departed from them, we have had much sorrow. They were much more happier being with the heathen and worshiping heathen gods and, 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 and you know, eating heathen foods and, and whatnot than following the, the God who created them and made them to be separate. And then verse 12 says, so this device pleased them well. And then certain of the people were so forward herein that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinances of the heathen. Yeah, you want, you want to fall away from your faith and come to ours? Yeah, that's great. That's what, exactly what we want you to do anyway. Whereupon they built a place of exercise at Jerusalem according to the customs of the heathen and made themselves uncircumcised and forsook the holy covenant and joined themselves to the heathen and were sold to do mischief. 
obviously they weren't, they didn't become uncircumcised uh, physically. They were uncircumcised spiritually. Okay? I'll jump down to another part, verse 20. It says, and after that Antiochus had smitten Egypt. This was the part I was telling you uh, about uh, historically. He returned again in the 143rd year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude. And by the way, the same kind of multitude that he did in Egypt, when he took into Egypt chariots, elephants, horsemen, and a great navy, and made war against, uh, made war against Ptolemy, king of Egypt. Well, the very same devices are what he used in going into Egypt. I mean, into Israel and Jerusalem. He used horsemen and chariots and elephants of all things. Okay. Uh, where am I? Okay, so uh, then, and entered proudly into the sanctuary. Entered proudly into the sanctuary, took away the golden altar, the candlestick of light, and all the vessels thereof, the table of showbread, the pouring vessels, and the vials and the censers of gold, and the veil and the crowns and the golden ornaments and were before the temple, all which he pulled off. He took also the silver and the gold and the precious vessels, and also he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre and spoken very proudly. So he went in, took all of these things out of the temple, then he had the people, as many as possible, killed. So there was great mourning in Israel in every place where they were. Uh, so that the princes and elders mourned, the virgins and young men were made feeble, and the beauty of, the beauty of women was changed. Skip down a few uh, verses here. Uh, let me go to the more necessary verses for us here. After two years fully expired, the king sent his chief collector of tribute unto the cities of Judah, who came unto Jerusalem with a great multitude. Now this is verse 30 coming up, and listen to what it says. And spoke peaceable words unto them. Sound familiar? Spoke peaceable words unto them, but all was deceit. For when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city and smote it very sore and destroyed much people of Israel. Went back two years later and killed more people. Uh, we could read on and on. Let me just get to one more passage here. Verse 41. Moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people. What is that? A one world government. And everyone should leave his laws. That means you're to leave your laws. What was the law for Israel? The word of God. The commandments of God. They were to leave it. Leave it and come to Greece. And everyone should leave his laws. So all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Yea, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath. And you would think, well, wow. Folks, they've been doing that all along since they came to the promised land. How many times did God have to take them and put them into captivity? But they did it again. Even after seeing their own people being slaughtered. And uh, let me see. Okay, it talks about the polluting of the, uh, here it is. Uh, and pollute the sanctuary, the holy people set up altars, groves, and chapels. Did I miss something? Uh, chapels of idols and swines, sacrifice swine's flesh 
and unclean beasts, that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation to the end that they might forget the law and change all the ordinances. Forget your law. We're a people of change now. Does that word change sound familiar to you? That's to wake you up. I planned that right there. Change. And whatsoever or whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said he should die. We're going, to, we're going to talk a lot more about change next time, okay? Anyway, <clears throat> okay, now, <clears throat> here is the closer to the time of, of Hanukkah. Now, the 15th day of the month Kislev, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar, which it says in Daniel, and builded idols, idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side, and burned incense at the doors of their houses, and in the streets, now get this, and when they had rent or torn in pieces the books of the law, the scrolls of the law, when they had torn the books of the law which they found, they burned them with fire, and, and wheresoever was found with any of the book of the testament, if anybody in other words was found with, a, with any of the scrolls, or if any consented to the law, the king's, the king's commandment was that they should be put to death. And this is when it talks about the ones who were circumcised and they hanged the infidel, I'm sorry, they hanged the infants about their necks and rifled their houses and slew them that had circumcised them. Okay. That, get, that gives you just a little idea. That the, you know, the, 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 the historical uh, record here of the Maccabees uh, does not pull any punches. It lets you know exactly what was going on during that time. And what we're going to consider next time is the stand that was taken and the stand that needs to be taken today for the truth of the word of God. But I want to close because of time. I want to close with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go back to 2 Thessalonians because we've studied this before over the last two or three years. We have focused our attention usually around this time on prophecy that we want to come back to it so that now we see a lot, of, a lot more sense from not only what we've looked at in Daniel, but also what we've now read from the book of Maccabees. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, and I'm going to read down through verse 12, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means. What was it that Jesus was telling the disciples in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, Mark chapter 13, at the Olivet Discourse? He was saying... Do not be deceived. Four times in Matthew 24, he says, do not be deceived. The days and times in which we are living in today, we are living in a day of deception. We are living in a day of deception. So let no man deceive you, he says, by any means, Paul, the Apostle Paul. For that day shall not come, <clears throat> the day of the Lord, except there come a falling away first. What happened to Israel? Before all of these took place, there was a falling away. And once they fell away, the door was open for the enemy to come in. So except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. That is, of course, speaking of the Antichrist, the one that is yet to come. And here Paul calls him the son of perdition, the son of lostness. 
the son whose destiny is completely to perish, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. That sounds like Antiochus Epiphanes. He opposes the true God. He exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Daniel prophesies. It happens in the time of, of the Maccabees but the prophecy extends as well to a time that is yet to come. And by the way, there was a, a, a little bit of that with the Romans too, and I'll, I'll explain that next time. So then it says, so that he, has God, that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now this was a young church. The, Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church was a young church. And you would think, well, we'll save the, the, the we'll save the prophecy for you for you know by the time you get you know you go from the milk to the bread to the meat. When you get to the meat, we'll talk about prophecy. No, he taught them prophecy from the very beginning. Because the church should always be ready. And the fact of the matter is, the apostles believed that Jesus could come at any moment then, two thousand years ago. And when, you, and when we think, well, it was 2,000 years ago and, uh, you know, then another millennium would come and, and, and then all of a sudden the people are doing whatever they want to do and it was kind of crazy. Then all of a sudden God would have to raise up a remnant that would begin a, a revival that would, that would start a, a, another revival for the word of God because they got to a position of, 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 of being lost because they were no longer following the word of God. They were following tradition. They were following ceremony. They were following rites. But the word of God was put away. So he says, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. You know what's holding these things back. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. It's already happening in Paul's time. Only he who now letteth will let. In other words, he who restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Well, who's restraining things today? The Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. In the true body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is restraining and keeping the Antichrist from being revealed until the time comes. And then he says, and then shall that wicked be... Well, first of all, the end of verse 7 says, until he be taken out of the way. Well, when he's taken out of the way, guess who is also taken out of the way? The church. At the rapture of the church. And then shall the wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. There's deception again in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So with that in mind, that's, that's just the introduction. And we're going to take a little bit more time to look at some uh, 
more passages of scripture that deal with Hanukkah, but Hanukkah as being that which is revealing the times in which we're living in today. So I hope that this has been a good start. I hope it's been understandable, and uh, I try to make it as clear as possible. Uh, but the connections are very real. The connections are very true uh, because they come only from the Word of God. So I hope and pray that we'll continue to study. And, and, uh, and again, we're going we're gonna to look at it again next, next week.